All right, those of you who uh, have brought your Bibles, please open up to to 1 Peter chapter 5. Those of you who are visiting with us, we are just wrapping up the end of Peter's first letter, some say his first epistle, to a number of young churches who were located in the modern-day area of Turkey. And all through this letter, we have found this excitement just bubbling out from Peter. And it mainly comes through two themes. The first one is that everything is something new because of Jesus' resurrection. He doesn't get three verses into his introduction before he just starts spilling the beans about this newfound excitement. Look at chapter 1 and verse 3 on the screen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And before the first chapter even ends, Peter does it again in verse 21. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. He picks it up again in chapter 3. Look at verse 18. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then three verses later in verse 21. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of the dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. And then, Peter, the excitement that he has with this, with this letter, the first part is that Jesus is resurrected. The second part is that He is coming again, this revealing. He uses this word again and again in the letter. Let me show you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. We who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Two verses later, verse 7. These have come so that the proven genuineness, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Again in verse 13, Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Verse 20, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And then look how he ends it in chapter 2 and verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. A clear implication of the revealing. And then look at chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Peter can't get away from it. Chapter 5 and verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed. And look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, obviously a reference to the revealing, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 
And then he ends the first letter with the ultimate reminder of Christ's revealing. Look at verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Now that's a revealing. After you have suffered for a little while, out a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. All of existence became something new because Christ resurrected and he promised to come back. 2,000 years ago he resurrected and we are still waiting for the revealing. Peter says this changes everything. And all through this letter that we have looked at these last five weeks, it changes the way we look at our position. You're not just a peasant in some broken down, cruel, damned creation. You are actually a part of a royal priesthood. And we are truly aliens and strangers here on this old broken planet. It changes our relationship. It changes our relationship as an employee with an employer, as an employer with an employee. It changes our relationship in our marriages as husband and wife. It changes our, our relationship with believers and with non-believers. It changes the way we view painful trials and sufferings. And it changes the way we treat those who are older than us and those who are younger. And Peter begins chapter 5 with a word to the older. So everybody who is old, I want you to stand up. Just kidding. Just kidding. You don't have to stand up. But if you think you are in that category, you are one of the older, here's word for you. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Because of the resurrection, because of Jesus' promised return, the older ones need to treat the younger ones differently. That relationship is something new. And in a phrase, the older are called to care and serve the younger. Now, you need to know when Peter wrote this, he was writing to a culture where that is not what was happening. That was not what was happening. This was a culture where the care and the service was much more from the younger to the older. My brother was a missionary in Africa for a while, and that is much more typical of the biblical time. Age over there is highly honored, and so is weight. So if you're an old fat man, dude, I need to retire in Africa. <laughs> That's the good stuff. It's not that way here, and Peter is calling them to something different. He's saying, if you're older, I want you to take responsibility for the care and the service. That's what you do for the younger. And then Peter's teaching, well, really, it reflects something that he got from Jesus. And I was going to take time to go into this text, but I'm not going to do it. It's Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 44. 
Jesus talks about the difference between the leadership of that time and what he is calling to. The godless rulers of Jesus' day would typically just throw their weight around with their power going straight to their head. But Jesus says, it's to be different with you. Jesus says, greatness in my kingdom is defined with care and service, not with bossiness and greed. And because of the resurrection of Jesus and his promised return, there was a word for the younger to the older. That's in verse 5. Look at the screen. In the same way, you who are younger, submit to your elders. The older were admonished to care and serve the younger, and the younger were encouraged to respect and follow the older. And this described the vicious cycle that was going on at the time between the older and the younger generations. The older wanted to force the younger to submit to their authority. I'm the older. And the younger, they just wanted to blow the older off and dismiss them and ignore them. And the entire problem of this generational tension could be solved with one word. Humility. Look what he says in verse 5. All of you, both the older and the younger, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your, all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Pride promotes problems. Humility solves problems. Peter is calling young and old to be problem solvers. And this is the rub, because humility is not our default. Humility is not our natural go-to. It is not the human way. Humility is God's way. Have you ever wondered why this, this quality, humility, have you ever wondered why it's so, so powerful? There's really nothing on earth like it. Humility, Webster says, having a modest or low view of one's importance. Having a modest or low view of one's importance. It's interesting that this quality is the answer between the friction that exists between generations. Why is humility the answer? Number one, because God supports it. If God supports it, uh, you don't have any stronger backing than that. God never opposes humility, but he always opposes pride. He delights in humility. He's drawn to humility. He supports it. Number two, he awards it. He awards it with his grace. Now, I know there's some of you in here, Jump! All you do is talk about grace. And um, this sermon, this is smacking up of legalism. What do you, you guys, I know you're saved by Jesus. I know Jesus is it. But you know, sometimes I think when we, we take the car and we put it over in the shoulder of putting, putting our salvation all on Jesus, which we should, but then when it comes to living our life, we say, oh, well, it's all on Jesus. I can do whatever I want. You guys, you died to that. When you died to Jesus, you are making a decision, okay, I, I'm now going to try to live the way he lived. 
So what, what Peter is giving us here is not you do these things in order to try to position yourself with God. No, no, no. Jesus has already taken care of that. You are saved and covered in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? You're there. You're there. What he's doing now is telling you how to live. I think we've got a whole group of Christians that are just bathing in the grace of Jesus and the salvation that will be provided, especially at the revealing, when we all go home, but they just give no care to how they live here and now. But if you belong to Him, you are thinking about how you live here and now. That's why all this letter is giving you specific instructions. If you knew that you could receive something good that you don't deserve, doesn't that sound appealing? God says, when you choose not to push your way to the top, but you choose instead to put yourself aside to help others get ahead, when you're not obsessed with getting the advantage, but you forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand, God says, when you think of yourself less because you're thinking of others more, God says, when you do that, I am inescapably drawn to you, and I'm going to cover you up with favor that you would, could never deserve. That's good. Why humility? Because God supports it, He awards it, and He promotes those with it in due time, at just the right time. God will lift you up and promote you where He wants you to be. And then we come to the verse of tranquility. I bet more people could quote 1 Peter 5, 7 than maybe anything but John 3, 16. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because he cares for you. Finally, God takes it. When we choose humility, when we choose to have a modest view of our own importance, our anxieties can find a place to go. Why are we called to clothe ourselves with humility? Because God supports awards and promotes those with it. And he gives them a platform to take their anxiety away. You guys, isn't the removal of anxiety, isn't that the definition of peace? And how in the world are you going to put a price tag on peace? Peace. Humility paves the way for peace. So those of us older ones care and serve the younger. And you younger ones you respect and follow the older. But all of us choose the pathway of humility. Choose to be humble. And then Peter ends his first letter with these final words. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong. Stand firm. It will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power and forever and ever. Amen. Six final words. Look at them on the screen. Be self-controlled. Be alert to enemy attack. Resist attacks with your faith. Remember that you are not alone. There are people that are suffering just like you are all around the world. Remember that suffering is temporary and that restoration is certain.
Peter is carefully preparing these believers. You know what he's preparing them for? Their reunion with Jesus. He's saying, y'all, we've got to get ready. And if you live this way, it's going to have a tremendous effect on the people around you. He wants you to get ready. This is how we live while we're waiting. Because we are waiting. We are waiting for His revealing. Because our destination is not this old earth. It's a new one. D.L. Moody was walking down the street one day and he came to a little girl that was terrified because there was a storm coming. The sky was dark and black. The frightened little girl looked up at that famous preacher and she said, Oh, Brother Moody, the world is coming to an end. You know what he said? That's all right, honey. We can live without this world. What? Oh, yes, we can live without this world because this world isn't our home. We're just passing through this world to a better world. Peter's words get us better ready for the ascension to a better world. Let's pray.